Well, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Pastor Mike here with Pastor Nick here at Pastor Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. It's great to have you once again with us this week. And we are continuing our series in First and Second Kings. Uh, and, our, and our series is called Desiring the Kingdom. And we were in chapter four this past week with uh, Sean Gilliam as our guest speaker. And the title of his message was... Uh, God sets the captives free. And if you missed that message, get over there, whitefieldschurch.com, and you can download it there, or you'll find it on any of the podcast platforms that you happen to use. And if you would, please uh, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, share it with your friends. It always helps in getting at this Christ-centered God and uh, Christ-centered, gospel-centered content out far and wide. And that certainly helps us helps us out as we we put this content together every single week and we hope that it is blessing you if it is yeah go ahead and subscribe give us a thumbs up and a like we would really appreciate that but here we are in chapter four of second kings as we continue through our series and um sean made reference to chapter three and there was kind of a few things you know that we looked at in chapter three but um one of them was this idea of of ditches or pools depending on what translation that you want to look at. If you want to fill us in on the story. Yeah, so just because we, uh, it wasn't the main focus of our message on Sunday, that's one of the things that we get to do with these videos. And so in uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, there's an interesting story where the king of Israel, right, the northern kingdom, teams up with the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, whose name is Jehoshaphat. And God says, for the sake of Jehoshaphat, like I will bless you guys. Jehoshaphat seems to be a guy who reveres the Lord uh, in many ways. Like even in this chapter, uh, they, they run into a problem is what's happening. They run into this problem. And the problem is that they don't have any water for their animals. They've been going for um, for days and they're, they're fighting this battle. Don't have any water for their animals and I assume for the people either. And so uh, Jehoshaphat says, what should we do? Isn't there a man of God in Israel that we can inquire of? And they say, well, there is. There's this man, Elisha. He's the prophet uh, here in Israel. And so they, they bring Elisha and Elisha says, um, Elisha gets a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord is um, prepare this dry creek bed into pools. And so what that means is that the people had to dig pools and prepare kind of what we would call like reservoirs, right? So um, maybe ditches is not the right word. Maybe it's more like reservoirs. So that when the water did flood the valley, there would be these ditches or pits or pools that would collect the water and then they would have water. And I think there's an interesting principle here for us just on a practical level. And that is this, um, that idea was they had to go and dig those pools or dig those ditches or pits in preparation for the blessing that God was going to send. They had to do it in faith, knowing that God was going to send the blessing. But also you could think, how big are you going to dig these pools? Uh, how much faith do you have? How much water do you think that God is going to send? And how prepared are you going to be? I think that's very uh, relevant for our lives. You know, are we, there's, there should be a sense of expectation. That's what faith is about. The expectation of coming good. The expectation that God is going to do something. And I think about Ephesians chapter three, just a verse that I always keep in my mind, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or even imagine. I think that's such a cool challenge because I can imagine some pretty, you know, pretty amazing things, right? And God is able to do much more than that. So to have faith is, is to say, I'm going to prepare that God is going to, I'm going to b dig 
deep ditches. I'm going to prepare so that when God sends the blessing, I'm ready for it. Another, another quick takeaway from this is that having faith doesn't mean that we don't work or don't uh, prepare or you know organize. It should actually spur us to do more of it in preparation for God's blessing. It's just that idea, you know, are you prepared? Are you uh, expecting God to bless? And what are you doing to get ready for it so that when it comes, you're ready? Now, I think there's a lot of areas of our lives where we can apply that principle, but I think it's a good one for us to apply. Yeah, I think one of the most common ones that I've seen, you know, over the many years of ministry is just pastors putting seats out. Like, yeah, we're expecting God to bring people here. Let's put chairs out. Let's put more chairs every week, you know, in expectation. And I think that it, and I think it reveals a mindset a mindset in ministry that we are expecting the Lord to do something uh, this week. You know, and I even think about, you know, with Jesus in the New Testament, you know, with the, t- turning the water into, into wine, you know, those servants, he, he told them, fill up those vessels mm-hmm. with, with water, not knowing. They had, to, they had to take that step of faith. Here, this guy is telling me, you know, fill up this, and they have to take to the master, you know, yeah, you know, that right. first time, you know, what was that expectation, you know, and the feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, you know, that step of faith to, it before, you know, and then the Lord took that and just blessed it, you know, yeah. immensely. And, uh, well, you know, Mike, when we moved into this building, we were looking at a couple different options. It was funny because you, I mean, of course you were involved in this and so was I, but you know, we had gone for a really long time of saving and looking and then right when we were having the opportunity to move in here, there were like three opportunities that opened up right away. And we had to decide between three possible places to move our church. And the reason why we moved here is for that exact reason. It was like building a, a big pool because we wanted, we believe that God, God's hand is in this, that God's going to bless and we want to be prepared. We want to take a step of faith. Now this was, um, you know, the, the largest option. It was, um, you know, a more expensive option. And yet I think that uh, that's the mindset we want to have, right? We could have moved into something that was small that we would have filled up. And, and I think it would have created like what we call glass ceiling, right? And, uh, but we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to make, you know, be prepared so that the Lord can bless, so that we're ready for it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've already seen, we've had like our first question, how are we going to use all this space? And well, the space is getting used already. Well, we've, we've been constantly saying, <laughs> you know, we need a bigger building. Yeah, yeah. we already need a big, bigger yeah. building. Already need. And, and so one of the other things that also that, um, of course, uh, Sean focused on in his message was, of course, the vessels and filling up the vessels with oil. And you just had a few thoughts and comments on that idea of us as vessels being used by the Lord. Yeah, throughout the Old Testament and, and of course, into the New Testament, but particularly in the Old Testament, this uh, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And that's not an allegorical thing that I'm just pulling out of the hat. That's something that the Old Testament itself declares, right? So, you know, we talk about anointing priests, prophets. They were anointed, uh, kings, priests, and prophets, all anointed with oil. And that oil was a symbol of the 
coming upon of the Holy Spirit to empower them to fulfill that particular ministry. So in the Old Testament, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And that carries, of course, in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, we're also told by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have the glory of God. The light of God's glory has been placed in us as earthen vessels. So we are like earthen jars, right? Which, you know, that's the most basic form of a container that you had in the ba- in the old days, right? Like that's like for us Tupperware or cardboard boxes or paper bags, right? Simple, not that glamorous, kind of earthy, dusty. That's who we are. And yet God has placed the light of his glory in us. But here's another part of that. God pours his spirit into us, that in Christ, we get to be vessels for the Holy Spirit. And you know, that that precious gift, and we get to be filled up with him. And you think about that, that you know, as we're filled up with him, we seek to be filled to overflowing so that, that the blessing of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit can flow out of us. Other people can be blessed and influenced by the Lord through us. Yeah, no, that's a great, great picture, great picture that we have. And I, I even just thought the picture came to my mind that this building that we're in is just an empty vessel until it's filled with the people of God who are filled with his spirit. And then it becomes oh, man. the church. Boom. Comes the glory of God. So Boom. it's a great That thought. wasn't in your notes. No, that, that wasn't was, in the notes. Just wow. came to my mind right okay, now. Okay, <laughs> I got one for you, All right. Mike. All right, you guys ready for this? Um, there's an interesting verse in chapter three, Second Kings chapter three, verse 15. Here's what happens. Remember, Jehoshaphat calls Elisha and says, hey, isn't there a prophet in Israel? They call Elisha and, and he asks, Elisha, give us a word from the Lord. And Elisha says, bring me a musician. And then it says that as the musician comes and he plays the music, it says the hand of the Lord was upon Elisha. So first of all, Elisha knew and sensed that uh, it was important to have, you know, there's some kind of connection or correlation between, between connecting with the Lord and having music. And, um, and as the music played, somehow that helped Elisha to have the hand of God come upon him and have him hear from God. Mike, I'm sure this is something you've, you know, invested a lot of thought and, uh, and care into. So maybe just share with us what, what are some insights on that? Yeah, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, 15. my whole reason for existence. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, the music is such a huge part of, of the Bible and the part of, and a way of that God interacts with us and the way that we interact with the Lord. Over 400 references to singing in the Bible. Uh, 50, actually 50 commands to actually sing. And the longest book in the Bible is the Psalms, just filled with music, expressing our love for the Lord, expressing, uh, you know, our, to one another. And of course, you know, Ephesians and Colossians admonishing one another and and spiritual hymns, Psalms, and uh, um, spiritual songs. And, you know, so there's so much. And I think one of the things we know about music is that one, it's emotional. It's, it tends to get down to the deep of the heart of matter. It helps to center us in, in a sense. It helps to bring focus in a way that we remember and we think about. And I think that plays a lot into the idea that through, through music, God can really speak to his people. It just... It also has a way of bringing unity when you have a whole room of people singing the same thing about the same God, about the same attributes. It has a way of just focusing all of our attention on one thing together as the body of Christ. And I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think God can really speak. So as Elisha calls a musician, 
I could just see people becoming focused as to what the mission is that God wants to do. What does God want to speak? We're all thinking about the same thing. And I think music, I mean, even in a secular sense, music has a way of bringing people together, you know, singing in stadiums, everybody singing the same song and, the, you know, that kind of thing. In, in the, and in the, it's no different in the church when, when the church gets together and we start to sing on Sunday morning. There's power in the room and we're singing about the gospel and singing, singing about Christ and Sing, singing about all those things he's done for us. I mean, in the Psalms, I'm going to sing about all your great works. You know, I'm going to sing about the attributes of God. I'm going to do all, you know, I just, I think it really certainly helps to focus us and gets down to the heart where God can certainly speak to us. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts and a couple of questions for you. One is this. Uh, so some people would say, oh, you know, it's not good if music, you know, stirs up emotion in you. Um, but Mike, what would you say to that? Do you think that, um, it is good for music to stir up? Where do you, where do you think this role of emotions and music stirring up emotions, where does that all fit in? Well, if I could steal from your, uh, analogy at the, the men's conference, you know, uh, people complain about going through the motions. Well, it depends on what motions you're going through. Well, the same thing with emotions, what emotions are being, uh, you know, brought up in you. I mean, emotions of love, emotions of, of, uh, of dedication, of commitment to the God that you serve. Yeah, I'm all for that. I mean, if music does that. Now, if it's music that only does that where, where we, it doesn't say what I'm getting excited about, and I think that's kind of where people, the discussion becomes. It's like, if you ask me, you know, uh, you know, tell me something about your wife. And I'm like, well, I really love her. You know, well, yeah, tell me something. I really love her. You know, tell me. I haven't told you anything about my wife except that I really love her. And I think music needs to have both. What What do I love the Lord for? And that's when we speak about Christ-centered, gospel-centered music that gets us excited in the heart that we can then respond to that. And I think when those two things come together, our emotions, you know, coupled with gospel Christ-centered songs and words. I mean, that's something to get excited about and should. When I sing about what God has done, when I sing about the cross, when I think about when he is, it's finished, what God has done for me, those things should, you know, I should have emotions welling up in me. That's exciting stuff. That's important stuff. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, we think that we're talking about the heart, that's the seat of emotions. The head, of course, the cerebral part, and then the hands, right? So we want to worship God in all three areas. It would seem very reductionist to say that, you know, we should try to suppress emotion or that it's bad. But, um, okay, one, one more thought on worship, and then we'll be done. And that's this. I re I've heard people over the years say things along the lines of like, you know, the music is kind of, you know, the worship music that we, the songs we sing, that's kind of the precursor, kind of the warm up for the sermon. Now that there, obviously we could get into discussions about ecclesiology and, you know, sacrament stuff like the sacrament of the word, etc. But I've always pushed back and said to people who, who've said that, I said, no, this is not uh, a warm up. This is not to prepare you for the real thing. This is like really super important. Maybe speak into that for a second. Well, I would say I think that 
that sentiment came around because that is kind of one of the functions, but it's not the only function. When people walk into this building, they walk in in, in, in uh, you know, almost in a state of chaos many times. You know, if they come with their family, they're getting people here and there and, you know, who knows what the ride on the road was, what happened Saturday night. So when they come in, when they hear the music, again, what I talked about, it's a unifying, it has a unifying function. It brings people, it helps people focus. And my job as a worship leader is like, I'm bringing you from that chaos to the God of order. And I want to reveal to you through the words that we've chosen. And I want you to bring you to a greater, how I say, a greater purpose, a, a greater, or a, a, you know, a greater thing than what you're dealing with. Somebody can meet your need and somebody that's greater than you, greater than your circumstance, greater than everything you're going through. I want you to meet Jesus, you know. He can take care of whatever you're dealing with and he's going to bring, the, you know, our body into unified un- unity and help people focus. So, yes, it has that role. Like, I'm you know, we're going to come all together and we get focused. We're going to be ready to study the word of God when, when that comes. But if I'm doing my job right, we're singing the gospel. So not only are they hearing the gospel, but we're singing the gospel. We're responding to the gospel in our emotions. And, you know, I think that's, you know, when they walk out of the building, I want them singing about the gospel. And when, you know, during the week, that melody that comes up in their mind, I want them whistling that melody or humming something about gospel music that we sung about, something about the Lord, you know, that's going to then encourage them through the week, you know. So, yes and no. I said, you know, yes, it does prepare us for the word, but it's just kind of, you know, one of the many steps that they're going to take. Prayer prepares us for the word, you know. The word of God is Jesus, you know. He became flesh, and, you know, so we, everything that we want to do is going to prepare us for that, you know, prepare us for the gospel. So, but, you know, we want to, we want to be singing the gospel and, and the great truths of who God is, and then we want to be responding to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I said that was my final thought, but I do have one, <laughs> one last thought, and that is that, um, you know, I've noticed this tendency um, that people who are involved in certain areas tend to think that their thing is really what it's all about. And everything else is just, so like, for example, somebody who cares a lot about prayer, they would say, well, yeah, what we do with the Bible is important, but it's, it's important because it gets us to the place of prayer and seeking God in prayer, right? Like, yeah, the, the songs are important because it's a form of prayer or like, you know, so, so everything circles back to prayer and they see that as the most important thing. Uh, people who are really into evangelism and missions, same thing, right? They believe that everything should be about that. And, you know, prayer is for that purpose. The, the worship, the word is for that purpose, etc. People who are really into studying the word tend to, tend to view everything in that vein as well. And I, I've seen people, you know, who, who are into worship do the same thing where they'll say, you know, basically, the message should spur us on to worship. Worship is the thing, the main event. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that we should view all these things in a way. If I have, if we have a, a prayer person, I would kind of encourage them that, yeah, you know, this is the way that God has, uh, you know, uniquely called, gifted, sent you, and you should run with that. But you got to also value the roles of other people in the body of Christ, right? Not everybody's a, a thumb, not everybody's a tongue, not everybody's an ear. And so we want to value each other. We need each other. But I think it is okay for somebody to like champion their area, you know? Like if we have a, a, a next-gen leader, I want her to think that next-gen is 
the most important thing, right? And, and you know, I, I think that that would be really healthy to have somebody who believes that their thing is the thing. Um, anyway, any thoughts on that before we end? I would totally agree with you. I mean, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, I, I view my ministry through the lens of the word. So I think all ministries should view through, through the Bible, you know, and that should influence what you do, uh, no matter what it is, you know, uh, you know, so what I sing needs to be viewed through the lens of the Bible. What the next gen is doing needs to be viewed through the lens of the Bible. Prayer, pray through the Bible. Everything is through the word of God. You know, that is the most important thing. Psalm 119, it's, it's all about the, the word of the Lord, you know? So I, yeah, I mean, I'm going to focus on my ministry, what God's called me to do, uh, but I'm always viewing it through the word. I want to make sure that what's in the word is coming out at my songs and it's influencing the congregation. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Well, that was a long one. You know, we we'll probably chopped that into three. But if you got any comments or, or thoughts on those, definitely a lot of topics we covered today, but a lot of great stuff here in the book of Second Kings. And uh, continue on this journey with us. You can download the sermon here, uh, whitefieldschurch.com. Uh, please subscribe. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.